And we have this hope because Christ has risen. You can even shout that out at the screen. He's risen indeed. You might be wondering why I'm wearing a suit today. Well, if Jimmy Kimmel can, uh, can have formal Fridays, I think we can have suit Sundays. And uh, I was tired of, of looking like a slob. And so uh, I wanted to dress up this, this Sunday. Uh, just to give you some encouragement um, as we're recording this today, ahead of time, uh, I want you to know that we are practicing uh, social distance. One of my brother-in-laws has talked about the fact that this Sunday, unlike any others, we have empty churches and it mimics the empty tomb. Well, the, uh, the reality is, is there was at least some angels outside of the tomb. And there's some angels here today who are just keeping their distance but are also helping us to record this sermon. I'm going to pray at this time. And if you want to pray with me, if you want to get down on your knees and, and pray to the Lord, uh, that would be great. Please join me in prayer. Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for rising from the grave. You are the only one who's ever predicted that and it has come true. Lord, we declare that because of the resurrection, there is hope today, there is life. And God, I pray that you would speak through me the hope of the resurrection. God, um, I pray that everyone listening would understand the good news of Jesus Christ. Many who are, are receiving bad news every day. But Lord, we get to hear good news. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. It's so great to wear a suit. I think about all those anchors that are wearing suits. And they're giving you bad news. Well, I want to give you good news today. And here's my first question for you. Have you ever been asked how you know someone? Maybe you've made some type of connection to them and they ask you, well, how do you know so-and-so? And, and what they're looking is for some type of commonality. I found this as I've traveled around the world and, and uh, talked about one missionary and, and all of a sudden like, I know that missionary. Or a couple weeks ago, our family was talking to a recruiter from, from a college and we, we mentioned that we knew one of the students at the college. And the recruiter also knew that student. And guess what? What happened after we got off that phone call, he texted, the recruiter texted this student and made the connection. And that led to a greater conversation. See, whenever we, we make a connection, there's always a greater relationship and a greater opportunity. Sometimes people, though, want to, to know you just to see if you're legit, to see if uh, there's legitimacy to what you're saying. Maybe a police officer will, will ask a question that only you would be able to know if you had some type of relationship with another person. Or imagine this. We finally get to go to the, the border, the border between the U.S. and Canada again, and, and usually we'll get those questions. Maybe they'll ask us new questions, but the question is, where does everybody live? And, and they're trying to find out if everybody has connection within the vehicle. Who you know is extremely important. In fact, the old saying goes, it's not what you know, but who you know. It's not how you know, but it's who you know. And those three letters of HWO are really important. In fact, who you know can be a difference maker. 
It can be a difference maker in being able to open yourself up to a greater relationship and a greater opportunity. Well, my question for you today is this. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? In fact, Jesus is the most important person that you can know. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. And we're going to look at this today, and we're going we're to really zero in on this question. Do you know Jesus? This is not just for a question for those who uh, maybe are, are checking out Jesus for the first time, who've never heard about Jesus. It's for all of us, whether we've had a lot of, of time uh, in the church or reading our Bibles or knowing Jesus. It's a question for, for all of us, no matter our age, our gender, our ethnicity, or our background. Do you know Jesus? That's the question. This was the pressing question actually desired that the Apostle Paul had in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, with a special focus on verses 10 and 11. Now you need to know that Paul was a man who at one time hunted Christians for a living. In fact, Christians were on his, his, his number one wanted list, especially leaders in the Christian faith. His resume, Paul's resume, included the best heritage, the best ethnicity. We know that as a Jew, that was very important to him. But in Philippians chapter 3, verse 6, it says that Paul says, describes himself as this, a persecutor of the church, a persecutor of the church. But then Jesus came to him in a vision while he was on the road to Damascus to kill some of Jesus' followers. If you can imagine this, Paul was blinded by the light of Christ. This wasn't a come-to-Jesus moment for Paul. This was a Jesus-come-to-Paul moment. And Paul recognized that Jesus, at that very moment, was who he claimed to be. He was the Christ. He was the Messiah. He was the Savior. He was the Lord. Paul literally bowed the knee to Christ, just like we did a few minutes ago in prayer. Paul was so radically changed by this encounter with Jesus that he started preaching about Jesus. We read about that in Acts chapter 9, verse 20. You, you can believe that. I mean, if you, you've, been, you've been chasing down this, this man whose followers claim to be the Messiah. And all of a sudden you meet him after they've claimed that he had risen from the grave and you meet him in a vision, you're going to start telling people about that. See, the apostle Paul was so committed to the truth. He was so committed to the purity of his religion that he had this radical conversion, this radical transformation, this radical vision of Jesus. I'm hoping you will have such a vision of Jesus. Now, some of you say, well, that only happened uh, many, many years ago, thousands of years ago. Such visions don't happen today. That's not true. Did you realize today that Jesus is still showing up? He's still coming in visions to people. 
There are many Muslims in the world, especially in closed countries like in Africa and Iran, where, where Jesus is showing up and he's telling them to go to his followers to, ta- to learn more about who he is. It's awesome. I love how Jesus can get through into any closed country. And in fact, every country in the world today is a closed country. This is especially important because Jesus overcomes our social distancing. And more importantly, Jesus overcomes our spiritual distancing. Our spiritual distancing. Our sin separated us from God. When we first disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve disobeyed God when God told them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because of that sin, all of us have sinned. See, God is holy and he requires 100% perfection. And because of that, God came to us through Jesus and he became sin for us. So that on the cross, Jesus was separated from God the Father. This is why he cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For those hours on the cross, God the Son experienced something he never experienced before. Separation from his Father. And he was separated. He experienced social and spiritual distance for our sake. Can you imagine that? In fact, even after Jesus rose from the grave, Jesus had to still experience a little bit of social distance. Uh, Mary, one of his followers who first met him, she wanted to hold him. And Jesus said, no, not yet. I have not ascended to the Father. But later on, we read in Matthew chapter 28 that his followers did touch his feet. They did touch his feet and they worshipped him. Jesus overcomes our spiritual distancing. Do you know him? Do you know him? Let's read what the Apostle Paul's desire was in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. It's God's word, God's word that sanitizes our hearts and our minds, even as we sanitize our hands, as my brother-in-law has said. Craig Treeweiler. Let's turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. And you can Google this. You can check it out. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. So many people say, if I just keep the, the, the rules and I don't do anything, I don't murder anybody, then I'm going to get into heaven. Paul just wipes that out and he makes it very clear that there's a righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible, possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It's those last two verses that I really want us to focus in on today. I already told you about Paul's conversion to Christ, but I didn't tell you the rest of the story. Paul went on to preach Christ and plant churches throughout the known world at the time. He was, he was beaten up. 
He was whipped. He was arrested. He was even stoned. People threw stones at him and left him for dead. Finally, though, he was arrested to go on trial. And after many lower uh, court appearances, he was on his way to, to Caesar, to stand trial before Caesar because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Paul was even shipwrecked while on transport to Rome to stand trial. And as he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, the first church that he planted in Greece, it was a time when he was facing death. And what I find so remarkable is that when facing death for following and preaching Christ for all those years, in verse 10 he says this, that I may know him. That I may know him. He wanted to know Christ. You would think that a guy who had a vision of Jesus, who spent three years in a desert studying about Jesus, preached about Christ, led people to believe in Christ, planted churches in Christ's name, stood in trial and was in prison for many years for Christ, and he's saying, I want to know Christ. Why would he say that? Was Paul starting to doubt in the midst of isolation and hardship? Was Paul claiming to be an agnostic that he really didn't know? I recall the former preacher turned agnostic, Charles Templeton, a, a contemporary of Billy Graham. In fact, many said that he was a better preacher than Billy Graham. He rejected Christ. But at the end of his life, he was interviewed by Lee Strobel. And this is the thing that, that Charles Templeton said when asked about Jesus. He said, I miss him. I miss him. Templeton, who abandoned Jesus, missed him. Maybe we think that as we read this passage in Philippians 3, that Paul was having a similar moment. He was missing Jesus. He felt alone and wondered if he really did know Jesus. Maybe you feel that way today. Maybe you think that Jesus is missing from your life. Is he missing from your life? You knew of Jesus when you were younger, but then you left him. He seems to be missing. I want to tell you some really good news today. Jesus didn't leave. The only thing that Jesus is missing is you. And you can come back to him. He loves you. He, he rose from the grave for you. And you can know him once again. Paul wasn't doubting due to a trial. He didn't lose his faith. He wasn't an agnostic. This is where the original language that Paul wrote the letter in to, to the church at Philippi really helps us. See, the word to know, gnosis, is in this case an eris active infinitive. And that's this big technical language, but here's how it really, really matters to us. Paul was meaning that he wanted to know Jesus completely and he wanted to know Jesus in an active way, in an ongoing way. As one scholar has said, this knowledge is not primarily intellectual, but experiential. Paul was thinking of this knowledge as a, as a daily experience. It was something he just didn't have when he had that vision. It wasn't just something that he had when he stood on trial. He wanted to know Jesus today. And I want to know Jesus today. Do you want to know Jesus today? Let me try to illustrate it this way. 
by thinking about the way many of us approach knowledge and pursue knowledge today. The first is what I call, the first way most people um, approach knowledge is what I call Google knowledge. Google knowledge. If you aren't a Google fan, then think of Wikipedia. Many of us find our knowledge through Google or Wikipedia. If we don't know a certain fact, we will Google it, right? And a search engine will give us millions of websites that will give us some fun facts and and other things to check out. But Google knowledge is just information. It's just information. There's another level of knowledge, and I call this YouTube knowledge. YouTube knowledge. YouTube knowledge happens through following a person. This may happen by simply following the practical advice of a DIY or a do-it-yourselfer who helps you put in a new, a new toilet in, in five simple steps that only on the video takes five minutes. But for me, it takes five hours. Then there are other YouTubers who teach us how to play video games better or who inspire us. We even follow them daily. We can't wait for them to, to, uh, to post another video. We may know a lot about them and think we know them. Rather than though just information, this knowledge is confirmation. We conform to their ways of doing something. We become like them. Confirmation isn't a bad thing. In fact, Paul had already described this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, that we should have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, that he wanted to be like Jesus, that we should be like Jesus. However, there's another level of knowing somebody. And that knowledge is what I call marital knowledge. This goes beyond just sexual knowledge. That happens beyond marriage nowadays in our culture. The knowledge I'm talking about with marital knowledge is that I can just look at my wife and I know what she is thinking. I know that's surprising for a a husband to know what his wife is thinking, but I can usually figure out what my wife knows and wants. I know her affections and her aversions, her, her hates and her loves. I know that she loves renovations projects. And I know also that she hates taking out the garbage. I guess that's not that strange because most of us don't like taking out the garbage. I know her because I've spent more than half of my life with her. She's changed me. i become a new man. And Paul is saying that even after all these years of following Jesus, he still wants to know Jesus in greater ways. Jesus' affections and his aversions. What Jesus what Jesus hated and what Jesus loved. Jesus transformed Paul's life and continued to transform his life. It's continuing. And so Paul was looking to know Jesus now as we get to verse 10 in three specific ways. And these were more than just tidbits of trivia about Jesus. These were the primary ways that Paul saw knowing Jesus. And and they're better than Google and they're better than YouTube knowledge. And they're better even than marital knowledge. I believe that these three ways are the best way to know Jesus. Here's the first way. We know Christ through his power. We know through Christ through his power. To really know Jesus is to know his power. And this is what it says. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection. 
If you, if you study the life of Jesus, and I encourage you, if you've never encountered Jesus, would you read the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Mark? Read this. See if it does not radically impress you that, that Jesus is different than anybody has ever lived, that he is the Son of God. Come, it's for us. The first 30 years of Jesus' life, people really didn't know who he was. It wasn't until he actually showed up in power. In fact, not even his family, those that he lived with, really knew who he was. In John chapter 7, we read where Jesus' half-brothers are leaving for a festival in Jerusalem. And they, they try to goad him by saying this, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. And look at this. Catch this. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then it goes on to say as commentary, John writes, for not even his brothers believed in him. Even Jesus' family were transformed from, from being just his family to being his followers later on. In fact, this was the case for all of his followers. They were transformed from being fans of Jesus, where they initially looked, liked his teachings, to actually being followers of Jesus. Think about his first followers, some fishermen who had, had been checking out his teachings, and then all of a sudden they're fishing one night and they're not catching any fish, and Jesus says, cast their net on this other side and they catch a boatload of fish and they are undone. They encounter Jesus' power. And Jesus' power makes him known. And this same power was what brought Paul to his knees before Christ. Has Jesus' power brought you to his knees? Has brought you to your knees? Has Christ's power got your attention? Ask him to do something for you. Not as a performer, but to do something powerful in your life that can be undeniable. However, Paul was not just talking about Jesus' power in a general sense. Paul was not just talking about power, but the greatest power of Christ's life. His resurrection. The resurrection which we celebrate today, which is the ultimate display of Christ's power. He declared that he would die and three days later rise from the grave. As Jesus said in Luke chapter 9 verse 22, the son must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This resurrection power was not just Jesus' body coming back to life. That was grand. That was glorious. But Jesus didn't just keep it for himself. He's given it to us. This resurrection power that you and I can have. Paul makes this clear in another letter that he wrote to the Romans. Romans chapter 6 verses 10 and 11 says this. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lived to God so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's why people, when they're baptized, they are baptized into Christ's death and into his burial and into his resurrection to communicate that Christ didn't just overcome our penalty from sin, but he overcame the power of sin. 
We Canadians understand that. I think better than most. Why? Because we're hockey fans. I mean, think about it. Think about it. Wouldn't it be awesome to watch a hockey game? I might even enjoy watching a Maple Leaf game. It would be so great. Imagine we're watching a hockey game and all of a sudden a goalie chips one of the other, other team's players. Well, we know what happens when that, when that takes place. The goalie can't serve his own penalty. He has to have a substitute. Somebody else has to serve that penalty. Well, imagine that a goalie tripped another, a player from the other team and the penalty is called and he has to have another player on his own team serve that penalty. Well, in the melee of, of usually what happens in these kind of scrums, let's say the other team also gets a penalty. It's a major penalty There's for fighting, for roughing. And so there's two people in the, in the penalty boxes, one for one team, one from the other. The, the, the goalie's team has a minor penalty and the, the other team has a major penalty. Well, what happens at the end of that two-minute minor penalty? The one who served the penalty comes out of the box and now they're on the what? The power play, right? He went from penalty to power. From penalty to power. And that's what Jesus did. He was our substitute. He went into our penalty box for us. When I, was, when I was playing hockey and I got a penalty, I felt such shame and embarrassment. How much greater my shame over my sin. Jesus took my penalty. He took your penalty, but Jesus didn't just take the penalty. He took, he came out of that penalty box, the grave, and he came in power. And he's on the power play and he's overcoming his enemies. He's disarmed his enemies. Praise God. I wish you were here. I could almost hear your amen through, through the digital signals. Jesus came in power. And that's the power of the resurrection that the Apostle Paul is proclaiming today. You no longer need to live in shame. Jesus has overcome your penalty and he's given you power over sin. You do not need to sin. Do you know Jesus through his power over sin that you can say no to sin and yes to God? As Dr. Wayne Baxter says, we are not sinless, but we should sin less. Less and less sin in our lives because we are following Jesus. This is not a one-time event, but a daily event and a daily experience. However, Paul does not just want to know Christ through his power, but amazingly also through his sufferings. This is the second way we know Christ. We know Christ through his sufferings. We share in his sufferings. The world is suffering now. Paul declares this in Philippians 3 verse 10, that I may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. My friends, somehow we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ and thus getting to know him. You know how that is? When you go through a hard time with somebody and literally have compassion. Compassion in the Latin means to suffer with. When we suffer with, when we have compassion, it forms a bond. I think we who survived this plague will have a greater bond. We'll look back and go, remember we survived that? I know my family's getting tighter through this crisis. It's through suffering that we also know Christ. 
Maybe this coronavirus is an opportunity to suffer alongside Jesus. Maybe we are getting a better awareness of how every day, think about this, think about this, Jesus feels the people are dying as having rejected him. Do you not feel that more than ever during this coronavirus? And even as we die, we become more like him. You who have grieved over a loved one and still have faith have found new ways of knowing Jesus. I think of Roger Hewitt in our congregation. Roger lost his wife a few years ago. In fact, his wife was, was the principal of our academy here at our church. And I think about how Roger, since, since uh, grieving his beloved Evelyn, he has grown so much to know Jesus. And he's become so much more public in his faith. We've heard some testimonies today about how suffering has actually helped for people to know Christ more. As 1 Peter 4 verses 1 and 2 declares, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Forever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Facing death doesn't just mean for us to fear facing Jesus in judgment. Facing death means becoming more like Jesus. So that when we do see him face to face, we will be more like him. Do you know Christ in his sufferings? I certainly don't want you to go through any suffering. But if it means that you will know Jesus more, bring it on. So we know Christ through his power. And we know Christ through his sufferings. But we also know Christ through his resurrection. Isn't this what Paul said in verse 11? Look what it says there. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I love this truth. We know Christ through the resurrection. Now don't misunderstand. We don't get resurrection as a re reward for our good works. We attain resurrection from the dead as we know Christ. That's the context. Paul was so looking forward to the time when for all eternity he would live with Jesus in the new heavens and new earth. So many of us are scared right now. And unless we have this hope of being with Jesus with the new heavens and new earth, we are not going to make it. And Paul understood this. He was willing to do whatever it took to learn more about Jesus. This is why he said, by any means possible. Friends, I'm not trying to scare you. But we don't know what this plague of death holds for our world. De Paul, in his situation, he was chained between some soldiers, Roman soldiers. For all of us, death seems to be nearer for all of us more than ever. Do you have a hope in Jesus and his resurrection? Do you know Jesus? Knowing him leads to a great relationship here on earth and an opportunity and a door for heaven, the new heavens and new earth. As Jesus prayed on the night that he was betrayed in John 17, verse 3, this verse. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. 
I believe Jesus prayed that for you. Knowing Jesus is eternal life. Do you know him? Many years ago, on this very Sunday, I knew Jesus for the first time. I gave my life to Jesus. Today, you can know this same Jesus. And it's not a one-time event. You can continue to grow and know him in greater ways. There is no one greater that you need to know than this Jesus. Do you know him?